Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Sounding Jewish Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Samantha Cooper, and each episode presents my conversations with musicologists, ethnomusicologists, and sound study scholars who specialize in the music and sound of Jewish experience. I am absolutely delighted to welcome you to today's episode featuring Dr. Gordon Dale. Hey, Gordon, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Sam. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invitation. So I'm delighted that you're you're with me today, and I really would just like to start by giving you the opportunity to introduce yourself and tell our listeners what they should know about you. Sure. So my name is Gordon Dale. I am an ethnomusicologist. I am the Dr. Jack Gottlieb Scholar in Jewish Music Studies and currently the visiting assistant professor of ethnomusicology at Hebrew Union College, Jewish Institute of Religion. Uh, in the Debbie Friedman School of Sacred Music. And uh, in one month, in July 1st, I'll just be assistant professor of ethnomusicology. No more visiting. Awesome. Congratulations. That's very exciting. Thank you. Yeah. So I suppose we just are here today to discuss, you know, how you came to Jewish music, why you're passionate about it, why you love it, why you study it, and to think a little bit more about the kinds of questions we don't really get to tackle when we're in more professional settings. I suppose we'll just start off with a general question about how you came to the study of Jewish music. What was one of your earliest encounters with Jewish sounds or Jewish music? And why was this such a formative experience for you? Yeah, thanks for the question. Well, I grew up around Jewish sounds from the time I was very young. My uh, family belonged to a conservative congregation in Monroe, New York. And, but even, you know, before I have memories of going to a synagogue, I remember my uh, grandparents singing Yiddish songs. And uh, my grandmother used to record cassettes that and uh, mail them to us of her singing Yiddish songs. And um, I would listen to them when I was a very, very young child. And so I, I grew up with those sounds. And, you know, one memory that sort of sticks out for me, actually, it really started again with my grandparents. I remember visiting them and going to the synagogue with my grandfather, uh, that was a like a modern Orthodox synagogue in New Jersey. And um, there were kids who were about my age who got up uh, at the end of the services and uh, led one of the songs, Anim Smirot, sort of a song of glory, we call it Shira Kavod. And they, these kids got up and they sang it. I remember I really liked the melody. And I said to my mother, like, what was that? What were they doing? I want to do that. And so she taught it to me. It's, it's actually, it's very long. And, but we would go through it um, every night before I went to bed, we would kind of work on one line. And then once I got that line, we would move on to the next line. And it wasn't something that they did in my home synagogue. So we spoke to the, the community's rabbi and, and he said, sure, we could do that. And I remember 
he wanted to test out to make sure I knew it. So we were looking for some empty space one day. And uh, the only place we could find was in a coat closet. So I remember he and me and my mother kind of <laughs> went into this empty coat closet and he had me sing the first first few verses. And uh, he confirmed that in fact, I, I knew it. And uh, that Saturday morning, I got up and did it in front of the congregation. And that became sort of my regular thing. That was my contribution uh, until I uh, became bar mitzvah when I was 13. So that was uh, an early encounter with learning Jewish music that was an important one for me. Yeah, I love that. And how did you get from learning that smira to going to graduate school to study Jewish music? What was that journey like? So that's a that's a long story, but I'll do the uh, short version of it. So I had a, uh, an interest in music as a teenager. I played guitar and I took that very seriously. I, I practiced many hours uh, every day and I, it was just a big part of my identity and who I was, what I did. And I, when it came time for college, I wanted to study music and um, I ended up going to Northeastern University and enrolling in their music industry program. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, I thought that um, learning about the music industry would be a useful thing if I wanted a career in music, whether I was on the performing side or on the, you know, on the business side. So I did that. And um, I uh, had some internships while I was in school, uh, which is a big thing at Northeastern. And I had some really positive experiences. Um, uh, where I got to work with some really interesting people, really interesting bands. And uh, one of those internships ended up hiring me after school. So I was working in uh, the music industry, working with big rock bands. And and there was there were some really amazing things about it. But uh, to make a long story short, I kind of decided that that wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. The business world wasn't really for me. It just wasn't, uh, uh, I, I wasn't cut out for it. So around that time, I was also sort of growing in uh, my interest in Judaism and um, I was becoming more observant and uh, I was studying uh, a lot with a few different rabbis and um, I found this world of Jewish texts that was really fascinating to me and sort of studying Jewish philosophy was really an amazing experience and it was uh, very important to me. And I kept thinking back to this class that I'd had as an undergrad where I took an ethnomusicology class with Professor Emmett Price, and we had an assignment to do, and I studied Hasidic music as part of that assignment. And it was so much fun, and I learned a lot, and um, I just really enjoyed the experience, and I loved that class. And um, I began to think, you know, maybe um, studying ethnomusicology would be a good route for me. So I met with a few music scholars who I'd known in my undergraduate time, and they were very encouraging. And um, they answered all my questions so kindly. And so I decided this was what I was going to do. 
But along the way, I, need, I knew that I needed to be able to build up an application for graduate school. So I took another job in the meantime, which just happened to be at Tufts University Hillel, which was at the time run by Jeff Summit, who is an ethnomusicologist. Um, he's also a rabbi. And so he was the executive director of Tufts Hillel. And we ended up working together. So I already had this idea that I wanted to go to graduate school in ethnomusicology. And then I ended up working with an ethnomusicologist. So, you know, Jeff was always very kind to me. And um, I enrolled in the master's program at Tufts a couple of years later, and then moved on to the PhD program at the CUNY Graduate Center. So it was kind of interesting that my interest in studying Jewish music actually didn't start with Jewish music. It started with being interested in music and being interested in Judaism. And then studying Jewish music kind of seemed to be the natural fit for those two things. And uh, I'm so glad that it worked out that way. Yeah. My, my experience with all of that was very similar. I was very involved in the classical music world and very involved in Jewish studies and developed a love of Jewish history. And then the opportunity suddenly arose where I could put the two together. And that was the, the epiphany moment, as it were. Yeah, so. yeah, it's so interesting how that happens. It's like the 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 community and all that is involved with that, and this love of music generally mm-hmm. kind of come together in um, really interesting and interesting ways that open doors and kind of open up this world of music that I, I frankly didn't know about in such depth when I first began my uh, studies and. Um, I was just constantly learning about new things that, wow, I'd never heard of this before. This is amazing. Mm -hmm. This music is incredible. And still today, I learn about new things all the time and that rabbit hole just keeps getting deeper. Yeah. So, okay. So you go to Tufts, you do a master's degree there. You decide you want to go to graduate school. You move on to the CUNY Graduate Center. Were you one of many students looking at Jewish music topics? Were you the only one doing that at the time in the places you were at? And what was that whole experience like of taking this passion you realized you wanted to pursue and moving it into the graduate level? So that's a great question. Well, while I was at Tufts, I think I was the only one doing a Jewish topic, but I had Jeff Summit as my advisor, who mm-hmm. is a Jewish music scholar. And uh, so he was really able to advise me on that and to give me some really good direction. Because at the time, I, I was very new to all of this. And uh, he was so helpful and kind to me. While is it CUNY, there were actually a few scholars who were doing, uh, a few graduate students who were doing um, Jewish music topics. Uh, Sam Thomas was there and Joe Alpar was there. Uh, Devorah Geller was there. So we all overlapped with each other and doing very different sorts of topics. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Sam was doing Moroccan music. Joe was doing Turkish Jewish music and Devorah was doing Yiddish music. And I was uh, doing Hasidic music. And that was that was really neat to have other people around who were doing those things. CUNY was a great place because they have a long history and really encourage scholarship that has to do with New York City. Mm-hmm. And uh, considering the diversity and just the, the richness of the Jewish community in, in New York, it's a really good place to be if you want to be a Jewish music scholar. So, um, so that was great. I studied with Jane Sugarman there as my dissertation advisor, and Jane is not a a Jewish music scholar, but she is just such a skilled ethnomusicologist in general that working with her was a fantastic experience. She's just so brilliant. And I uh, really gained a lot from studying with her in her classes. And then the ways that she would help push my ideas forward 
were um, really, really valuable. So uh, it ended up being a good fit. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, in terms of Jane and Jeff and all of these role models that you had, that you were working with in different capacities throughout your, your graduate school career, were there others, were there other personal influences or musical experiences that really shaped your decision to keep up with this scholarly trajectory? Yeah, well, there are certainly many, many scholars who I really look up to and who have helped guide me either through their work or through personal relationships. Thankfully, our field is growing. So there's there are many people that I, I really look up to, um, including up and coming people like like you, Sam, um, who are doing fascinating research. Um, but there are a few people who I can uh, really name. Jeff Summit, who I mentioned before, Jeff has this really amazing ability to use ethnography to kind of uncover fascinating and diverse experiences in the American Jewish community, many of which are familiar to me, but they seem new when he writes Mm -hmm. about them. Mm -hmm. Another person I should mention is Tina Fruoff. Tina brings this like rigor and sharpness to everything that she does. And for me, that, that she's really in that upper tier of musicology in general, even beyond Jewish music studies. Mm-hmm. And she's just brilliant. And I really admire her work. Another person is uh, Mark Kligman, who I know you know well. He is someone with this like breadth and depth of knowledge that's just astounding. He can speak on virtually any topic within <laughs> Jewish music studies. And he's so excited about all of it. And it's yes. contagious how, how excited he is. And that's just, it's wonderful to see because when you're spending every day doing it, you know, anything will lose its shine. But when you speak to Mark, he's just, he's so excited by all of it. And it's just so wonderful. And furthermore, he's so focused on growing Jewish music studies. And Mm -hmm. he always has several different initiatives in the works to help grow the field. And that's really something that I admire a lot. And then another person that I would just want to name is uh, Judah Cohen. And, you know, I, I again think that Judah is just an ethnomusicologist of the highest caliber. One aspect of his work that just really stands out to me is how he so effectively pushed back on some of the fundamental assumptions mm-hmm. in Jewish music studies and helped us to question those things yes. uh, with really fruitful results. And that ability to ask those questions and to see things a little bit differently than everybody has seen it before, it, it makes his work so refreshing and so valuable, something that <laughs> I would aspire to to be, to do one day. Mm-hmm. So all of those people are um, really role models for me. And, and there are more, there, <laughs> there are so many more, uh, but I've been so lucky to get to know those folks. Yeah. I love that. I love that you have so many people that you think of when you think of brilliant Jewish music scholarship and yeah. advocacy <laughs> and mentorship and all of these things. Yeah. I mean, how lucky are we that there are people who are doing all of this fascinating work and are so kind to, you know, sit down and have a conversation about it. Um, and you can meet with, you can meet with Mark Slobin for coffee and, and <laughs> he'll talk to you about these things. And another person who's just been groundbreaking in the field and is happy to share his experiences. So, yeah. you know, I really think that it's, um, it's a good place for folks like us who care about this music. Definitely. Just circling back for a bit to the music and the musical study that you've been doing. Can you just walk me through what your project looked like in graduate school for those who may not be familiar with your work? And then describe for me where you've ended up now, the kinds of questions you're thinking about now and how they differ from where you started? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So my 
PhD work was on um, music in the American uh, Haredi community, the um, so-called ultra-Orthodox uh, Jewish community, primarily focused in New York and uh, surrounding areas. So in my dissertation research, I was looking at several different spheres of music making in the American Haredi community. I was looking at Nigunim, and I had a focus on the Majitz Hasidic community in Brooklyn. I was focused on Orthodox popular music as well. I was looking at children's choirs, boys' choirs specifically, and I was looking also at people who were... I guess maybe one way to put it is that they had one foot in the Haredi world and one foot in American pop culture as well. So they were making rap music and heavy metal music and rock music that was very Jewish in content. And they were bridging those different music communities through their work. So um, it, was, it was certainly a fun project to work on and to get to know these folks who are making the music and study the music itself. Since then, I've sort of honed in on one area of that, which is the music of Benzion Shanker, who is uh, was a composer of Nigunim. He passed away in 2016. And he was one of the most important uh, Hasidic composers, certainly of the past hundred years, and probably beyond that as well. He wrote a lot of um, sort of greatest hits of Hasidic music. And um, I was very fortunate to know him from when I moved to New York in 2012, when I moved to Brooklyn to start my graduate studies until he passed away in 2016. And uh, so I've been working with his family. Hopefully we'll be publishing his collection of Nigunim. He wrote 446 Nigunim that he considered to be part of his life's work and uh, a biography to go along with that as well. Wow, that's incredible. Such a breadth of material. Yeah, it's it's a huge amount of material. Um, and so therefore the project is taking a while. It's all being transcribed according to the publisher's conventions and then the biography itself is a project on its own. So so it's it's a lot of work. It's a big project. It's taking some time, but hopefully we'll succeed in getting the music out there so people can have the notation as, as Rabbi Schenker wanted it to be uh, written. Yeah. And the music will be out there in the world for everybody to see. And some of these pieces were never recorded and have you know only been heard by a handful of people in his inner circle. So I feel really lucky to play some part in getting it out there into the world. I love all of that. It's such important work and it's great that you're doing it the one very evident question with all of this from, you know, your graduate school work through to the present day and your work with Ben Sion Schenker and his output is how are you accomplishing this work? How are you approaching it? How are you tackling it? What kind of models or methodologies or tools are, do you find that you're most often using? And why did you land on these tools as the best way to accomplish what you set out to do? Great question. First and foremost, my work has really been about participant observation. In my case, it's very hard to untangle my research from the rest of my life, for better or worse. Uh, you know, what that's done is that it's helped me to get very close to the music and to get close to the people who are making it and really develop those relationships with the musicians. I was, again, very fortunate. Rabbi Shanker and I spoke nearly every day. Um, 
in wow. the last few years of his life. I was at his apartment several times a week and helping him out with different tasks. And I've remained close to the Majid's Hasidic community and I attend a lot of events and they've started inviting me to to play uh, at some of these events as well. So they always ask me to bring my guitar and play some stuff. So it's it's been really it's been really valuable to me and really just enriching to mm-hmm. be a part of that music making community. But in terms of my scholarship, it's just been amazing to have access to to all of this and to have the ability to call people up when I have a question and just mm-hmm. ask. So those relationships, um, I think, are really valuable to me in my research. Now, the other part is trying to think more broadly about the context for all of this that's happening, yeah. you know, because when you're so close to it, sometimes it can be hard to take that step back and to think more broadly. So for me, that it's really been about, um, about reading and speaking to other people who might just see things a little bit differently than I do, just, you know, based purely on perspectives that, that we all have. So I think that the, the fun thing about, well, one of the fun things about the Bensian Shanker project is seeing how his long life in New York, um, he lived essentially in New York City for his whole life in Brooklyn from 1925 to 2016. He passed away when he was 91 years old to put him in the focus, to put him in the foreground, but also to watch as the background changes. Mm -hmm. So I, as I understand, you know, the, the unfolding of the Hasidic community and the development of that community in New York, it's actually a really remarkable story. And he played an important role in preserving the music culture, particularly in the aftermath of World War II. So it's been really just fascinating to um, understand his music and to think about what was happening as he was creating these pieces and try to put those puzzle pieces together. Hmm. I love that. I love thinking about the whole concept of research as this assembly of a puzzle or you know, the weaving of a tapestry or all of these images I think are very evocative in describing that. Yeah, when yeah. whatever about, the metaphor yeah. is, it's, it's really <laughs> about, well, it's about like putting people in their context and trying to, to understand. Yes who was doing what and when and why, and who were they interacting with? And one yes. of the great things about biography is that you get to see it in very tangible terms. It's, mm-hmm. it's really, you know, person A was speaking to person B, and this is what came out of it, which you don't always get when you talk about big histories that have to do with, you know, huge communities or countries that, um, that are interacting. Here you really yeah. see the, the interpersonal nature of it all. Yeah, there's been a lot of great work recently in Jewish music studies on biography. Mm. Thinking a bit of Amy Wladarski's text and Lily Hirsch's recent book on Annalise Landau. So I think there is really this recognition that biography might be a smart way to go in terms of trying to grapple with these questions. Yeah, I'm I'm finding it to be rewarding and, um, you know, happy to be uh, contributing to that uh, that push for biography in, Mm -hmm. in my own little way. Yeah, and it's great that you're also thinking about curation efforts and making music available, because I'm not sure that scholars really make that a, you know, it seems like a way of giving back to the community that you're not taking from, but that you are, you know, benefiting from in an sort of empirical kind of way, but really, you know, giving their music back to them and making it accessible to that community and larger communities to be able to play it. I think that's pretty valuable. Yeah, thanks. It's uh, it's something that I think about a lot because you know, we need to be very conscious of who has the right to do things with the music, 
right? Like, who am I to take this music and work with an academic press to to put it up on the internet for anybody to look at? So that question, I mean, it can go both directions. So in my case, I've been working with um, Rabbi Schenker's family, who are legal owners of the the copyrights. And I certainly feel that they have the right to do that. And so I've consulted with them on, you know, every step of the way, specifically with his um, son-in-law, Velvel. So I'm taking my cues from them in terms of what's the appropriate thing to do with the music, because um, I'm very conscious of the ways that it could come off as almost almost colonialist, right? To come in and say, I'm just going to do with this what I want to right now and to speak to the family members and try to do it in as respectful a way as I can. Yeah, that's a great way of approaching it. Would you say that you're really in the thick of this research and this project right now, or that you have some sorts of new research questions or subjects that are peripherally preoccupying you, so to speak? Well, there are some things that are on my mind. I am very much in the thick of this right now. I would say even more so uh, just with teaching responsibilities um, and things like that, which is, you know, another thing that uh, I get to do. That's a lot of fun. But one thing that I'm really thinking about is how do I balance putting the music in the foreground as opposed to the people who are making the music? And how do we find that balance of the social aspects and the and the musical aspects in our scholarship. And then when we talk about the music and especially the social life of the music, how do we do that in a way that we're seeing it in its full scope and not only preferencing certain certain aspects of the history and certain performers of the music? How do we make sure that we're really seeing the music in its full full life? So this is something that we've spoken about a little bit, Sam, of this idea of what would it look like to think about music and biography as the biography of the music. Right. And so that's something that I'm really intrigued by right now. How do you tell the story of a piece of music? And one question that I'm really kind of struggling with right now is, okay, I could tell this, I'm intrigued by this idea that I could tell the story of this piece of music and follow it as it moves into all sorts of different spaces and maybe unexpected performers of the music. That's very exciting to me. But at the same time, I'm struggling with, so how do I pick the piece of music? Do I only pick a piece of music that's going to have that interesting story and that somehow moves into all of these unexpected places? But what if that's not representative of the The corpus of music? Exactly. Right. So um, in Hasidic music research, this is especially important to consider. The scholarship on Hasidism has been so male dominated and there are reasons for that. And it's also really important to, to broaden and to think about what about Hasidic women and their role in all of this? What do their musical practices look like? And in what ways do they engage with Nigunim? So finding the right way to think about telling the story of the music in a way that's not only going to tell certain stories, but also not only going to tell other stories is a challenge that I'm grappling with right now. So it's... Right. All of that is vital. And also thinking about who the right people are to tell the stories you can't tell. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And to know that I can't do everything in in, uh, in one project or in one lifetime yeah. for that matter. Uh, so there try. are other people who are right. There are other people who are working on related topics. Jessica Rode is working on classic women's musical practices. So, you know, I guess we, we have to think about this, that we're all in this together and are mm-hmm. trying to, to put together that puzzle. 
Um, yes, I love together. I love that metaphor of academia as this big party that you walk into, you join a conversation, you have a couple drinks, you make your <laughs> contribution, and then you leave, and the party's still happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's that's true, and being part of those conversations can really be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And- well, that's why we do it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess just to wrap this conversation up, I suppose we have the looming question of whether you think there is such a thing as Jewish music or an identifiable Jewish sound. If there is, how would you characterize it? And if that question is just too essentializing, because I know we're always cognizant about being too essentializing, what questions about music and sound would you ask instead? Right. That's that's the big question. For me, Jewish music is a discourse. The interesting questions for me are what gets to count as Jewish music and why. Hmm. So I'm always interested in the circumstances in which we use the phrase Jewish music. And why do we do that? As scholars, we do it because we need to differentiate ourselves in some ways. We need to understand what conversations we're being a part of, Yeah, you know, at that big party, right? (laughs) And because it's a, it's part of the culture of academia to say, I study X and we have to be very specific on those things. And that in itself is kind of interesting that we would call ourselves Jewish music scholars um, alongside people who are scholars of other different types of music, whether those are geographic locations or whether it's community designations, right? But there are many other ways that people uh, think about what is Jewish music. So I was fascinated by several videos that came up on the internet about uh, the history of Jewish music, where there are these like mashups of uh, <laughs> groups singing yeah, Jewish music. Lots of acapella groups. Exactly. Yes. So it's, it was very interesting to see what are the ways that people, uh, in what ways do people frame their understanding of what Jewish music history is, who's included and who's not included, and when does it start and end? those things are discourses for me uh, that are really fascinating windows into the ways that think of people think about what it means to be Jewish, what it uh, means to make music as a Jew. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the way that I like to think about the term Jewish music. I don't think that it's uh, possible to put clean boundaries around this, but that doesn't bother me. I once heard the sociologist Brian Turner say that sociologists can't define society, economists can't define capital. <laughs> so, you know, when, um, so I'm, I'm actually not overly concerned with uh, those sorts of uh, definitional questions. I'm just interested in how people use that term and why. Awesome. Thank you so much, Gordon. It's my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation to participate and uh, best of luck with this podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sounding Jewish Podcast. I would like to take this opportunity to thank our sponsors, the American Society for Jewish Music, the Milken Center for Music of American Jewish Experience at UCLA, and Harvard University Center for Jewish Studies. Tune in next month when I will be joined by Dr. Rachel Edelstein to discuss her ongoing study of women's cantorial history. 